Over the past few weeks, we've been in a sermon series. Um, it's been called Thrive, Thrive. Now, you may or may not remember. Maybe you were here, maybe you weren't. But here's the core idea to catch you up. In the face of adversity, we don't have to get buried alive. And we can do more than simply survive. In fact, we can thrive. We can thrive. That's the main idea. But I wonder today, what if we're not thriving? What if we're not? You know, in the course of my life and in my ministry, I've spent far too much time with too many people who are carrying around loads of guilt and shame and hurt because they find themselves in a situation that's not good. And they say, but but gosh, I'm... I'm a Christian, so I'm really not supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to be joyful, and and maybe if I was a better Christian, this wouldn't have happened to me at all. I guess guess I'm just not thriving like y'all have been talking about, so there must be a problem with my following Jesus. And I'm aware that some people will hear the, the promise and the premise of this series, that we can thrive in the face of adversity. I know that some people will hear that, And the first thing they're going to do is judge themselves according to that promise. Well, you know what? I I am getting buried alive. I'm not thriving like y'all keep talking about in church, so I must be doing it wrong. I must be bad at this Christian thing. But listen to me. Thriving is a gift from God. It's not uh, something that God has this deep expectation for us, and when we're not, it becomes a bat to beat ourselves up with. It's a gift. And any time we try to work in our lives by our own strength, that which only God can do, we're in for some trouble. We're going to be carrying around things that God was when have said, son, daughter, I'd have taken that off of you a year ago. So we trust God to do these things. And so today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about How can we thrive when we're already getting buried alive? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so for that, we're going to turn to uh, the story of Jesus. um, Really, one of the last few nights of his life, or last night of his life, as he has um, had the Last Supper with his disciples. And now the scripture tells us he feels deep sorrow, and he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's join together as we hear the word of the Lord uh, from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Hear the word. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here a while while I go over there to pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, And he began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, 
he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And when he came to the disciples, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment. This is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. I hope you can see on the screen. Uh, it is the place where, the picture you're looking at, is the place where they think the original site of the garden was. It's on the campus of the Church of All Nations. You can see that building there off to the side. That's the Church of All Nations. It's also sometimes called the Basilica of Agony. Can you imagine the evangelism program at the Basilica of Agony? Where do you go to church, man? I go to the Basilica of Agony. We're going to have a potluck. It's going to be great. Come on. There's actually a, a rock, a stone there inside the building that they've actually built around, and it is uh, said to be the place where Jesus fell on his face and prayed. This site's on the, on the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem. Now, uh, Gethsemane means oil press in Aramaic. And you can see the, they've got these olive trees, and it's known as Gethsemane because this is where they would press the olives to make the oil. So when Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to the olive garden. I just don't think he got the breadsticks to go along with it. And uh, then they have these trees, these huge, they're, they're about as big as they look. I had the pleasure of, of walking among these very trees a few years ago uh, in Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And they're this big. And carbon dating, radiocarbon dating on the outer bark of these trees shows them, uh, dates them back to somewhere around a thousand years old. Isn't that amazing? And it's thought, though not yet done, that if they were to carbon date the root systems, because uh, olive trees like this can be cut down and grow back up from the roots, that the roots might actually prove that these are trees that maybe Jesus prayed under. Who knows? Somebody will figure it out. But either way, here they are, and look at them. They're huge, and they're gnarly, and they're knobby, and, and they're bumpy. And I wonder, how in the world did they get that way? Do you know how they got that way? Because they've been through it. They have been through it. So they say, the tour guide in Israel when we were there, uh, Louis, Louis told us um, that the olive trees around Jerusalem and around Israel are known as among the most resilient plants. This is what happens. Uh, let's say they get an insect uh, or a disease or they get hit or nicked in some way. These trees will just grow right around the damage. And so every time you see a bump or a gnarl or a, a, a knob, that's a place where the tree has been damaged and healed around it. And so look at them. These trees have seen some stuff. And they bounce back. So you think about that, and it is no wonder that when Jesus is filled with sorrow to the point of death and is about to go to the cross, it, it makes perfect sense that this is the kind of place Jesus would want to go and pray. That Jesus would want to go and pray here. Matthew tells us 
uh, that while he was on his way there, he began to be grieved and agitated. And he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. And he walks among these trees and falls to his face and prays. I don't know about y'all, but that means something to me. That means something to me that the Son of God has sorrow and he feels it. It resonates with me that Jesus would have feelings that I feel, that we feel, and that, and that they're heavy in him. That means something to me because our lives, they come with their own unfair share of trouble and sorrow, don't they? Oh, and the Son of God, it, he, his life intersects with ours like this. How gracious that he feels the things we feel. The scripture says uh, he has known our sorrows. That's amazing. And then there's that prayer he prays. Gosh, this is just an amazing passage of scripture. You, y'all know the prayer I'm talking about? He prays this just awesome prayer. It, it's two sentences. The first sentence says, My father, if it is possible, uh, may this cup be taken from me. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Jesus must be holding some unsweet tea and he just wants the Lord to take that away from him. Uh, but no, this cup that he's talking about it symbolizes the pain and the agony and the grief. Maybe, probably that he's going through now, but definitely that he will go through. And gosh, that, that means something to me too. How many of you have had something in your life you just say, God, I wish you would take this from me? I can think of five things in my life right now. God, if you would just take this from me. That's powerful. Oh, and then the second sentence of that prayer is powerful too. It's like this radical recentering prayer. He says, yet or but, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, that's, that's powerful. It's kind of like this reminder that we all have desires and we all have opinions, but ultimately, at our best, we seek for God's will and not our own, right? That's a pretty powerful prayer. Now, you probably recognize this and, and have already made this connection, but did you know that we've made this scene a focal point of our worship and our sanctuary? Did you know that? There's something about this scene that we have found so important that we would tell the story in stained glass for everybody to look at. You've probably seen it. Maybe here at 11, you haven't paid as much attention because of the screen. But here you have Jesus praying on a ledge and down in the bottom. You can see the, the plants and, and when the, the lights are perfectly lit, uh, you can see the, the leaves. Those are the olive trees. And then back here, you can see uh, there's three men and they're sleeping like some of y'all do while I preach. Uh, they're back there. <laughs> and then back behind it, you can see the buildings of Jerusalem, which is perfect because I remember The Mount of Olives is just not far, and you can see Jerusalem right below this spot. There it is. There's something about this that we've decided is so important to our church that we want to look at. I wonder if it's that prayer. I wonder if maybe it's that prayer that holds together uh, the, the, the fact that Jesus knows our griefs. And maybe also the other part of that prayer that says, um, in this church we remember that even when it's hard, we're going to seek to do God's will and not our own. Isn't that a powerful thing? That is a powerful prayer. We're going to leave this up so that you can look at throughout the rest of the sermon. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Gosh, that's a powerful prayer. 
But I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes if we finish that prayer too quickly. I wonder if we finish that prayer too quickly. I really do. I mean, it's not hard to finish quickly. If you look at it, it is 23 words long. And if you're a nerd like me, you'll look it up and know that in the Greek, it's 11 words. Just 11 words. This prayer can be prayed out loud in as little as 5.6 seconds. Do you know how I know that? Because I timed it. Look at the cool things I get to do for work. 5.6 seconds. That's pretty fast, isn't it? Pretty fast. I don't know about you, though. I don't know if I can count on one finger the amount of time that I've amount of times I've worked through something that I was struggling with in 5.6 seconds. I don't know if I could work through it that fast. Maybe you have. I don't know. And I, I get that we identify with Jesus in the first portion of this prayer, the first sentence, where we know, gosh, Jesus feels pain, and we felt pain too. And, and I guess I'm supposed to feel um, that same kinship with Jesus here in the second half. He, the, the man just got right back up, and he said, I'll take it. I wonder if we go from one to another and finish this prayer, sometimes too quickly. We find that connection with Jesus when he knows our grief. But I wonder, listen to me, I wonder if we rush past our hurts too fast. Maybe because we think we're supposed to. Maybe we think we're supposed to. That's what Christians are supposed to do, right? We're happy. We're joyful. We always get together. We're wearing our best. We, we want to make sure that uh, we're putting on the best face we can. And I wonder if sometimes we think that we're supposed to just get over things so fast. Sometimes I think we finish this prayer too quickly. Sometimes I do. So I wonder if in our pain and our struggles sometimes we feel this pressure to be super Christian. Super Christian with our big S's on our shirts. I've got this. Uh, Yes, sure, I'm going through something and it hurts real bad, but Jesus said, thy will be done, so I guess I've got to suck it up and get over it and move on. (laughs) Maybe never deal with the stuff we've gone through, never really taken the time to process it or let the Spirit of God work in it and let God work deep in our lives. Sometimes I wonder if we worry what other people are going to think about us if we don't power through or get together and get through it real quick. Have you all noticed something? I've noticed this a lot in, in churches, and it happens all the time. It doesn't necessarily make sense to me, but it happens all the time. Have you ever had somebody, they're going through something really bad, and maybe, maybe we are caring for them, um, and the situation is over, but it takes them like months to come back to church? You ever notice that? There are some people that will go through something like maybe they'll lose a, a spouse or a child. And I've seen people in that who have been a deep part of the church, who have um, been cared for by the church, and they just can't come back. They just can't come back. It's not anything that happened. It's just that they can't come back because they've got this pressure. That I, I don't want people to think that I am not good enough because I'm still hurting Yeah, the funeral's over, but golly. Yeah, Jesus stood back up and said, thy will be done, and I'll get there, but I'm not there yet. And I think that sometimes we finish this prayer too quickly. 
I think that sometimes we feel this pressure uh, to just get back up and power through and push down whatever we're dealing with because that's what people want or that's what we think that God expects from us. Because honestly, if Christians are supposed to be happy, then, then it can't be okay to not be okay. So I wonder sometimes if we do it too quickly. But here's the truth. If we don't find a way to deal with our struggles and with our pain, it doesn't just go away. It festers. You know, kids don't believe this. Kids will hide, like they'll get into the middle of the living room and they'll cover their eyes like this where they can't see you and they'll say what? You can't see me, you can't see me and they'll believe it with all their might but guess what, kid, I can still see you. We might push our pain out where we can't see it anymore but guess what? (laughs) It's still there and it goes deep and it weighs us down to the depth of our souls. Even the little stuff adds up. If we don't find a way to deal with this, it, it, it's going to be a, it's going to ache in our life, and we're going to know it. Even if we don't show it, we're going to know it. And sometimes, listen, and this is what I'm afraid for people, uh, for Christians who who may be struggling with pain. Sometimes I am afraid that in the name of being a good Christian, note the quotes, a good Christian, because our perfection is in Jesus, not in anything we do. Somebody say Amen. I think sometimes in the name of being a good Christian that we rob ourselves of the healing that the Spirit of God wants to work in our life. I think that sometimes in the name of being a good Christian or sometimes in the name of presenting ourselves as one that we rob ourselves of the healing that the Spirit of God wants to work in our lives. So finish this prayer too quickly. Move through it too fast and you might find your soul piling up with one overwhelming sorrow on top of another. Now, the truth is, is that we have absolutely no idea how long Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was hoping they'd be like the... uh, Uh, like the the White House, you know how they have like the every minute we know what people are doing? I I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Now, we don't know how long Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, but we got some clues. It was surely more than 5.6 seconds. Here's some clues. It was certainly enough for the disciples to nod off to sleep. Now, for some of you, that only takes 5.6 seconds. For people like me, it might be 90 minutes. But anyway, it it was long enough for that. It was certainly long enough in the garden for Jesus to come back multiple times to ask them, why can't you stay awake, folks? It's obviously long enough for that. And we, we know that he prayed for at least an hour and did that multiple times, so it was obviously maybe at least an hour or more. We know from the context of Scripture that it was at least long enough for Judas, who had left dinner earlier, it was at least long enough for him to finish his business of knocking on the door and waking up uh, Jewish leaders in the middle of the night saying, hey, I got him, we can get him and then knocking on the door of all the soldiers who were on call because they didn't have cell phones and beepers back then, and saying, come on, and then to go find him. We know it was long enough for that whole ordeal to happen. We know we spent some time there. And we don't know how long it took for these words to actually come out of Jesus' mouth. We don't know. We don't know. We know for sure that the, that the first time that he knelt there to pray, we know that that first time he prayed there for an hour. We know that. But we know also that he went back to do it again. And we know that the first time he prayed take this cup from me. And the second time he's changing and he said, uh, if, if I have to drink it, I guess I will. Uh, you know he's working through it. And just because this 23-word prayer can be said in 5.6 seconds doesn't mean that it was. Maybe it was. I don't know. But we know that Jesus was there for a while. It may have taken Jesus all night. All night. In his agony to say, 
and really finally mean it. But thy will be done. Maybe it took that long. I don't know. But if you identify with Jesus in the fact that he knows our sorrows, please, please identify with this. Please identify with this. At least we know this. Before Jesus finished this prayer, Jesus sat with his pain. Before Jesus finished this prayer, stay with me. It's not 38 minutes yet. Before Jesus sat, finished this prayer, he sat with his pain. He, he sweat blood over it. Go look in the Gospel of Mark. The, the man sweat blood over it. And we know from the Gospel of Luke that he was in such agony that God sent angels to tend to him. Wow, he's right there. He sat with his pain. And as he did, as he sat with it, as he laid his heart open in all of its struggle, he made room for God to come and work within his heart. He made room for the angels to minister to him. He made room for the activity of the Holy Spirit to knit him back together. Jesus, I don't think, got up from this prayer after 5.6 seconds. And listen to me. There is no expectation on any one of you to get over what you're struggling with that quickly either. There is absolutely no expectation from God or from us that you bury things down and get over it that quickly. Take the time. Take the time. Do you remember Psalm 23 where it says, my favorite verse, um, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Y'all are still here? Good. The, the great news about this psalm, the reason we remember it so much is not because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I said, poof, it's gone and it was light again. No? No, the good news of this psalm is it's not that the darkness is gone, but that God is there in it. God is with us in our hurt. God is with us in our struggle. God is there ministering to us, tending to us, and caring for us, helping us to bear the weight that we can't bear. And the Spirit of God is active around us, helping to knit our hearts back together and helping us to remember and believe the promise of the resurrection that the worst thing that happens in our life will never be the last thing that happens in our life. That's what happens when we don't rush it. So I say to us, take the time Because it is a more faithful thing for you and me to do. It's more faithful for us to sit with our pain and allow God to work in it than it is for us to push it down and pretend that it's okay. It's more faithful and it's necessary because it leaves space for God to work in your life. It leaves space for God to work in your life. So I'll tell you this. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Take the time to invite God into your struggle. Take the time. Let God do for you what you can't do for yourself. And don't, don't think that, that God is looking for you to get up and suck it up. God is there to tend you and help you up and the time that it takes to heal whatever it is you're going through. And don't think that we expect you or that your brothers and sisters in Christ expect you to suck it up and get up, that we're sitting there 
judging your struggle because you've got some pain. Um, let me tell you what we think when people are struggling and in pain and they're letting God heal. Let me tell you what, what at least that I think. We are not judging the fact that it's taking time. We are in awe of you. When you take the time, maybe even over days and months and years, to open your heartache up to God and let God do sometimes the slow work of healing you, we are in awe of you and in awe of God's work in you because we know how hard it is for people to do that. We know how hard you're working and we know how much courage it takes. And quite honestly, we don't always know if we'd have the courage to do it too. So we are in awe of you and in awe of God's work in you when you let God do the work. And we are with you. And we're keeping watch with you. We're praying for you and praying with you. And unlike these guys, we're trying our best not to fall asleep while we do. Because we are on your side. And like the angels, maybe we can be sent to help heal you. So, Take the time. Sit in the garden for just a little bit. Maybe you can imagine those resilient olive trees. Take the time and come and pray a while. Open your heart and let God work in you. Take the time. Finish the prayer when you're ready. God will let you know when it's time to get out. Take the time to let God heal you and we'll keep watch with you while we do. So what I want to do for just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to have Judy play a little something quiet for us and let's just say we've got Jesus, the image here of him in the garden praying. Why don't we just say for a minute, we can play pretend, right? This is a Gethsemane place for us. And maybe, just maybe, you've got some hurt that you need to take a minute with to take the time. So I'm going to invite you either at your seat or maybe come to the altar and sit for a minute. Pray for as long as you need and we'll keep watch with you. So let this be a Gethsemane for us for a moment. Judy?